Hi everyone. Today I'm talking to Thomas Patras Rupshis, who is a software engineer and the head of loyalty and members at Wix. Thomas has a bachelor's degree in informatics and a master's degree in business administration. During our conversation, we talked about capitalism, startups, communication, software developers' personality, and the challenge of balancing a leadership role with academic studies and fatherhood. Enjoy. So mm -hmm. Thomas, thanks, thanks for being here. We planned it uh, way ahead. So finally you have your master's degree. So congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. So how thanks. were how were those last last weeks until submission? Until submission of the thesis? The uh, final paper, yeah. Difficult. <laughs> I won't lie. Like the, the very last two weeks, I mean. You know, they were a bit, uh, how they put this, like I sent multiple versions. So like the weeks while I was uh, still writing before submitting the very first initial version, those were extremely hard. But you know, after you submit the first one, uh, I already had like a few months until the deadline. So I was very calm, chill and so on. So, uh, so you know, a few weeks before the last submission, they were, they were fine. I was just doing minor edits, nothing else. So it was okay. I see. So would you like to speak a little bit about the reasons why you decided to study a master of business administration while still having tons on, on your plate, like a high pressure role, family? I hope that you have some free time on top of that. So <laughs> what would be your take? Uh, like for the last... I don't recall how many years already. I'm in a station where like, my manager, let's say, is not necessarily close to where I am physically. So like learning, you know, is a bit, how they put this, uh, not limited, but it's a bit more difficult. So I wanted to make it a bit smoother. That was one reason, you know, just to learn from others. And the other, like, I have quite some acquaintances, friends. I had quite some, you know, quite many acquaintances and friends who studied there where I studied now. And they were saying that, well, you should definitely do it. Like, it's definitely worth it. Like, don't even think about it. Like, you will manage somehow. <laughs> it will be hard, but you will manage somehow. Uh, and I said, yeah, okay, let's, let's, let's do it. And, you know, before, before I attempted to study, I already tried a few courses, like online courses, but not Coursera type of courses, but uh, let's say there is this uh, Harvard Business School online where you know you can take a one month course. It takes quite some time, you know, so I already evaluated like it would it be interesting, you know, how much of my time it would take. So I knew more or less where I'm getting. Uh, so it wasn't that big of a risk. But no, as Tyson said, like you have a plan until you get punched into the face. So COVID started. So like the whole timetable shifted a little during the study. So it was a bit more difficult than I anticipated, to be honest. But that's the past now. Mm -hmm. So the key reason was that you wanted to accelerate your learning, if I understand correctly. Yes, like accelerate uh, learning and growth in a more management direction, let's say. Uh, those topics are interesting for me, you know, like, I don't know, for as far as I remember, I've always been 
listening to audio books or reading them, which are related to management, business, marketing, so on. Even while I was more in even more strictly engineering roles, or was it a mix? I was still interested in those things. So there was an interest, and I just wanted you know to to dive deeper and also to have you know a paper about it. <laughs> I'm really interested how you got into leadership in the first place. But be before that, I guess it would be great to uh, spend a little bit more time on on studies because I'm a study studying geek, I guess. So I, I'm not sure if I will ever stop doing that because right now I'm thinking of doing a PhD mm. on, on, on behavioral software engineering. I'm not sure if you're aware of this field. No. Basically, really basically psychological research on software developers and their teams. And various aspects mm. like motivation, um, productivity, performance, uh, personality, and well-being, my passion included. So hmm. speaking, of your, speaking of your studies, I'm sure that you, throughout those years, like at least up to 10 years of, of working professionally and over five probably being in a leadership role, I'm sure that you learned a lot like throughout your experience while facing challenging situations, dealing with people, dealing with business problems, but still you felt that okay, an academic degree might somehow also be beneficial in addition to that. So if you had to reflect on your academic learning as opposed to your experiential learning, how would you compare those two? And what are those, let's say, key learnings? What do you think, Thomas? Mm -hmm. very, very, very interesting uh, question because, you know, like when I decided to study, I initially decided to do that because of a material. Like where I studied, you know, uh, like the, how to say, like the logic is that we bring uh, professors from other universities, from top business universities around Europe, around the world. They bring them to Vilnius, you know, just for a weekend or a week or something. And, you know, you, you learn. And I thought, okay, great. Like you can have amazing material here locally. And so I came for material. Uh, although uh, what I didn't expect and I got uh, is that like the people with whom you study, you spend a lot of time. And even during this studying time, like I would say, well, maybe not half, but quite a significant amount of time is spent doing group work. And during that group work, although you base everything on the materials, like on the academic, you know, more academic materials that you just heard, you still combine that not only with the know-how and experience of your own, but also of others. Mm -hmm. So still, it's more you know experiential learning, as you said. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, but nevertheless, you know, I think like you do learn from experience, but you know you always like every time you get into some I don't know new situation, you usually remember. Okay, so. What happened in the past? Did you have a similar situation? How you dealt then? Is there something you should do differently now? Uh, so you're always in, in a box, you know, because you only have a limited amount of know-how. Maybe you can invent something, you know, new, like during those situations. Uh, but I think this is where the learning comes, that you hear how others deal with different situations, uh, their thinking patterns, and so on. So like, I think that 
academic material like it helped to structure those things like to understand what is like the overall how, how, how to put this like how overall you can think about certain things like what is the how large is the box basically more or less you know how do people struck have structured it up, up until now yeah. so it gives like a basis for discussion and then you know you as i said you you have those discussions where you apply your own experience and learn from others i, I think i picked up on at least three things so one one thing are people and relationships so you learn through spending time with those people and talking to them and exchanging the second thing is learning in a way from others mistakes that's a wise way to learn so to speak and the final point is structure i mean a lot of learning which is experiential it goes case by case it depends on experience whatever you get you learn but some experiences might be somewhere in the future and by being exposed to that experience while talking to wise wise managers colleagues you you can in a way plan again ahead so to speak right so yeah, yeah. so speaking of those specific learnings just just to maybe to wrap it up this moment like what were the topics that you feel were the most enlightening to you while while studying that mba degree and anything that you maybe would like to share with others that you would like to spread knowledge or something like that so I think one of the important parts, uh, especially for people coming from software engineering, uh, like it, it's very easy to say that, but it's very difficult to fully grasp it and start applying it. But like we need to start thinking in a less binary way. way. Like, you know, so first of all, you know, if we think about our culture, like about the country where we live, Lithuania, like, and it's yeah. not necessarily just about us. I, I'm sure there are other countries who have similar patterns. So we have this tendency that we like to be like told exactly what needs to be done, right? So, you know, like, even if we look, for example, how our, I don't know, rules are written, like, you know, when, when the government is working. So, you know, we want to like find every little detail, refine it, every possible loophole, and for example, if we look at other countries, uh, I don't know, for example, the UK, uh, like they are acting on a bit different, uh, let's say level, instead of like finalizing every little detail, we act on principles. You know, we tell the principles how we should work instead of, you know, working I like, like literally just you know, looking at the, what is written, like looking beyond that. And I think it's uh, like, it kind of instructs you to think more rather than just to look at what's written. And I think this is where, you know, like innovation starts to happen. You need to think more. It's a bit more difficult, uh, but at the same time, I think it's, it's, it's a lot better, more efficient because you need to spend less time, you know, writing everything and so on. So similar thing applies. Why I mentioned this, this is important for software, people coming from software engineering background. Because again, and you know, myself included, I think even up until now, I, I often do this. It's not that, you know, suddenly I realized and, you know, now everything is perfect. No, <laughs> but you know, you, you, you start to less 
think like in a fixed mindset, you, you, you know, this growth mindset versus fixed mindset thing. So it's, I, I think it's a very similar thing. Like, uh, you know, in software engineering, we like to define things like as they are, you know, you write things and they work just that way. Uh, although, you know, there are some, how to say, uh, even in engineering, if you write code, you deploy it, you launch it to millions of users and suddenly you find out, I know it. That's the mystery. Working. Yeah, there are some mysteries anyway. So anyway, there is, it's not binary. And I think when we talk about like team dynamics, working with people uh, and those things, like you, we cannot expect that, okay, like we agree on something and now it will work like this. Or if or somebody needs to learn something, so that person, you know, will never learn it anyway. Uh, or that, you know, if, if we're introducing some rule that, you know, you need to clarify that rule into every little detail and we cannot just, try to be a little more open in the beginning. So I, I think that's the, the main thing I kind of learned uh, because it's kind of specific to the industry, uh, to this industry, like to engineering, internet, to people who are more, you know, more into science stuff, let's say, rather than compared to, I don't know. I understand it sounds a bit stereotypical. I mean, there are people, there are various people on all the sides, but there is some, I think, generalization that we could make a little. So that's one of the things. That's so counterintuitive because when you think about academic studies, you would, you would guess that you will find those answers. You will find a theory, you will find a model that works in that situation, doesn't work in the other. And you go to study, maybe expecting something like that, not saying that you did, but let's say I would. And then what you find, you find that life is complex there are no ones and zeros in life grow up <laughs> <laughs> like you know there's the, I, I think there are some memes about developers even but you know there are like there's a life cycle uh when you know in the beginning you feel you know nothing then at some point you feel you know everything and then after a few years you again you understand that you know completely nothing like there's so much in this world that you don't understand in this topic so um and I think that's that 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 shows you know like uh, the seniority of a person that like it's impossible to know everything. Mm. What's the syndrome called where people imposter imposter syndrome? There are two syndromes. So one syndrome okay. that that shows maybe lack of self esteem, lack of confidence about your knowledge, and you feel that you don't know nothing and you will never know. And then then there then there is a opposite of that. I think it's Kruger, something with the word Kruger know. related. Kruger's effect. You heard about it, but uh, couldn't Let me remember. Google. Kruger's we need to Google, yeah. <laughs> syndrome. Dunning-Kruger effect. So Dunning and Kruger are the authors that came up with this. And basically what it shows is that uh, there are situations when people think that they know a lot, then they are experts on something like that, and they can be opinionated. And I think maybe it's a bad impression but when i was working in it recruitment and i was talking to engineers like every day but not like on a counseling level like like now but more like on a recruitment level so getting to know their careers better understanding them personality wise and what they think about life and there, there is a group of people who if let's say you say something somewhat opinionated as well just to trigger them a bit, just to get something from them and see how they think about it. And, and you would say that, 
oh, but what do you think that Angular is legacy? Or maybe React is the way, or what do you think that there's no need to use your own physical machines? You should go to the cloud and just throw something very general and just see how they react. And you will get a also an opinionated reaction as if the person would, you know, he knows everything or she knows everything. And as an engineer and who hired a lot of engineers and, you know, we, we worked as partners when, when you were my client and uh, on your side, how do you see this Daniel Kruger effect playing out, let's say nowadays in software development? What's your take on that? Just a spontaneous topic. We, we are not planning to talk yeah, about yeah. it, but still interesting. To be honest, I would go even beyond that, like, you know, beyond just software engineering, I think okay. in general, like, uh, uh, like, you know, we can see this in, let's say elder people, for example, sometimes, you know, that, oh, you know, I've seen so much, so I really know this stuff, you know, and uh, it's, it, it's, it's actually, I guess, normal, right? Uh, like, uh, uh, to, to, to think that you are really experienced at something, you know, and I think that's why I think that humbleness is very important, by the way. Like, I think it's a very important virtue that, like, if at some point a person assumes that uh, he or she knows everything, like, that's a, a red flag, in my opinion, always. Uh, and even now, you know, I said always, so, you know, it sounded like as, as I really know something, right? And, uh, that's, so I think, you know, things can change every day, like, uh, you know, there are new stuff coming up every day and we are living in the times where uh, there are so many changes that it's even very difficult to keep up with the changes. So thinking that you know everything uh, and that you know the best answer is, I think, a too strong statement to make. Like, uh, so I think we need to accept that we don't know everything. Uh, that it's likely we will make mistakes, you know, uh, for that day, for that situation, given the knowledge people have, you know, you can make the assumptions, what do you think are the best options? Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in agreement right now. If, if, if you see someone really like fixed on something that, hey, no, uh, this is terribly bad and like no other path is good, uh, you need to think a bit wider. Totally. And I totally understand that this effect is not at all affecting uh, software and software developer population, but nevertheless, there's a, a paradox where, for example, you meet a older, older person, let's say our parents, and let's say we talk about politics or some sociological situation. For example, the likelihood of having a war in Lithuania, or for example, uh, the risk of economic crisis. So these are topics that somewhat can be predictable in terms of the fact that these people have experience going through wars, going through uh, difficult periods like crises. And I think it's sometimes, not sometimes, I think always it's important to listen to the, to, to the oldest man or woman in the room or person because they have something to say and, and certain things, you know, they repeat my father is a historian. So he always says that history repeats in cycles, you know? So on the one hand, yeah, it, sometimes it can seem that they are those like affected by that 
Daniel Kruger syndrome. But when it comes to software developers, let, let me know what, tell me what you think. Um, you're in a place where you learn things that change like every day, new frameworks are created, new practices are created, new ways to structure code, new best practices. And in a way you would think that these people should be super open-minded because you know there are so many ways how you can create software. But at the same time, you face people who seem very opinionated. And when it happens, you, as a psychologist, I cannot think that of anything else other than some core personality differences, something particular about, about this group of people. And my hypothesis is that if let's say someone who's listening is in this place where he or she thinks that, okay, he knows the best answer, he knows the way, uh, I'm not sure if it's, it's a way to live a happy life. I think it's affecting team dynamics, it's affecting your family dynamics, how you, how you engage with your partner or children or anyhow. So if you, if you would have to lean on a bit on the software developer population and your experience with engineers in general, because it's a developer podcast. So how would you maybe comment this dynamic? First of all, if you notice that, and second of all, what, what's your take on that? I mean, if, if I notice uh, if a developer has, uh, if developers have. Um, yeah, how uh, much is it a problem and how much is like a uh, bad impression of, on, on my part? I would just, I would like to be educated. <laughs> bad, you, you mean bad impression? Uh, like, uh, you mean that developers have a tendency when they are, when they have a tendency to think that they know something really well or too well and they are very opinionated about it that that affects their well-being that's that's one one point that i'm interested interested in one one point if there is if you notice this phenomenon in the first place and if you do what's what's your what's your take on on this phenomenon's impact on their health on the team on organization any any if you had to philosophize how how would you engage with this mm -hmm. uh, like of, of course it affects uh, of course it affects uh, team dynamics uh, like usually like it really depends on the on all the participants in the team right so for example if you have two super opinionated people and they disagree <laughs> Like you know what happens then? Like it's a what happens? It's a it's a ticking bomb basically because you okay. know if we disagree or you have a constant conflict, then other members in the team see that. Uh, so it's like elephant in the room, but one of these need to move to another team or maybe out of the company or change That's... personally, because otherwise, like I, I personally like. Uh, I have seen such cases. I never like it, it wasn't that I've seen tens of them, but definitely more than three. Uh, it's 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 usually a case that you know it affects uh, like that you need to do something because people then like either themselves like interestingly that those people who are the the ones super opinionated are, are not necessarily the ones telling that 
oh, something is wrong in the team. It's usually those others who are sitting and listening to those two fighting, right? So, <laughs> so that's one option though. Again, all, everything depends on, on the overall team dynamics. Uh, another option is, let's say you have one person in the team who is super opinionated and others are not. Uh, then again, it depends like if for the rest of the team members, this fits and uh, that opinion that person is dictating things in a way that others think it's cool. Sorry, dictating is a very good word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if, if that person is dictating, you know, then for others, uh, they think it's cool. Uh, what they think is the bad thing in that situation is the growth of those other team members. Because usually, it, and this is not necessarily related to like a person being super opinionated. This is more in general, like when you have one super strong leader or a person you know, who like not necessarily, I'm not saying necessarily a title leader, but a leader, like a person just no, can be like individual contributor, mm -hmm. but is just a leader of the team. Like, you know, like you can see that, you can feel that. Yeah. Uh, and if that person, you know, is taking care of everything, is answering all the questions, what happens is that others either get into the comfort level, which then affects their growth because they don't need to think about anything. Like, you know, we yeah. can... They're just waiting for that leader to solve mm -hmm. everything and so on. Uh, and, or, you know, then others might decide that, well, you know, it's not the right place uh, for myself, like to, to be near that person and change the team. So that's another, you know, risky option. Uh, and one more, if there is a very opinionated, opinionated member in the team uh, and others dislike, those opinions, <laughs> yeah. then like, again, the dynamics will be terrible. Like, uh, you know, it's a ticking bomb basically again. You know, uh, in Counter-Strike, we have the terrorists <laughs> and we have the counter-terrorists. And when terrorists put a bomb, the CTs or counter-terrorists, they, their job is to defuse it. And, uh, if, if, you, if you allow me to challenge you a bit, uh, changing teams, I think it's an easy solution. Let's say taking the person out of the team and putting somewhere else, uh, agreeing with the person that they leave, it also seems like an easy solution. But I realize that their situation, that's the, the only solution. But just maybe to, on this note, to... to to look for maybe additional solutions like you know maybe it's it comes it comes from your experience working in like in, in american-ish companies where is that culture uh you either uh succeed or you're being fired you know <laughs> i'm not sure if you if you're if this philosophy how like is embodied by you but i think it, it, it can be a solution but it's not the only solution and you know I think that it's important to provide an opportunity for the person maybe to become aware of one's behavior and to face oneself and just and have a, a good conversation that look, dude, you're competent, you're wise, you're professional, but the way you conduct yourself is not good for the team. What can we do to, 
to increase the harmony and, and safety among the team members because we appreciate your knowledge, but at the same time, you, your behavior can, can seem toxic, you know. And uh, this is why, you know, I'm working in counseling, coaching to provide maybe a possibility for these managers to, to improve. At the same time, it seems that the easiest solution is, is what you described. So sorry for that rant, but now the question, why do you think that managers in tech maybe tend to take the easier path, but not necessarily to work on the people skills of the maybe more difficult members, maybe more opinionated members, maybe those especially who take a tech lead role and are important to the team? Oh, first of all, we are in agreement. Like if okay. this comes by surprise to someone, there were mistakes made. I, I, we, we are in, in agreement about this one. Okay. Uh, you know, again, everything depends on uh, on teams and so on. Just mm -hmm. maybe one remark that uh, today we live in in times when it's 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 no secret. It's extremely difficult to find engineers, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and retaining engineers is even more difficult, right? Uh, and like the businesses, usually they, you know, unless they shrink, then that's known, but usually businesses grow, they move forward, there are new customers and so on, which means the pressure is growing. Like the question is like, if the company is growing faster, then you can find enough people, like who gets the most pressure then? So the answer usually is the existing people. And at least, you know, from what I assume happens in other companies and so on. Uh, and usually, like, the most of that pressure comes to the leaders of those teams. Because, you know, like, anyway, they are expected to deliver results, either, even though they're under capacity and so on. So the pressure is high on them, right? So, you know, how do you put this? Like, there, there is the saying, if, if everybody were doing everything what experts recommend let's say you know you need to like use a floss like four times a day like you need to you know to keep jogging every day you need to do a half an hour of yoga you need to sleep eight hours and so on like so probably we do nothing but just listening to those opinions so what you need to do you need to prioritize right so you need to choose what are the most important things for that day in your life in the situation like everything really depends on the context like it's there is no one answer I, I would say so if you know you have capacity time and you believe yourself and i think this is this one is super important for someone who needs to like who is a lead you need to believe like that you can grow that person like that you can change but you know it's it's the right saying that you can help that person to somehow change <laughs> Uh, and you know how difficult it is to wow. change someone. Usually it's impossible, right? But if you believe that there are ways, like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's enough to tell and so on. Yeah, I mean, but is that always happening? Again, depends on the context, on person and so on. So, uh, yeah, three words which you mentioned, I think are very important. Capacity, time, and uh, belief. I would use also the word hope, which is a bit wishy-washy, but... <laughs> But, but hope that the person can change. And I think what we picked on is like an important topic. One topic about the 
state of, of software engineering industry on the one hand, and also a hope in, in people's ability to change on the other hand. And just to maybe to, 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 to provide some ground for our discussion. So just, just a few rants. So speaking of industry, um, yeah, I totally get it. When customer needs are increasing every day, and you want to deliver, you want your company to grow and flourish, of course, you get into these problems. Now, I sometimes ask myself, why do you need to grow? You can put a cap on your annual revenue and say, we are happy about it. But that's not how business people work. Growth is like, for some reason, a value in itself that you have to follow. But why so but now popular like you, you you triggered me a little because there is, so let's no stop tendency. here uh, so let's let's talk here a bit and later we will get into that hope part but sure. let's talk about this part why business people think that they need to grow where does it come from let's let's psychoanalyze this this part and if you have any personal thoughts or experiences so feel free to share yeah, yeah. So you know, this the sentence of yours triggered me a little because there is a no, like there is the saying, like so. You know, managers, they are like it's always their fault, right? Like similarly, like uh, I don't know, what what would be an alternative saying? Like you no, know, I guess you you as a therapist, like I, I'm not into psychology, but you but know, I'm like, not you know, putting when, when you guilt. Deeper, Sorry, but mm -hmm. just one one. To, to clarify, I'm not putting guilt on the leader per se. What mm -hmm. I'm maybe asking the question about is about the trends, what is okay in business and what is not okay. And as I said, uh, there's no need to grow like exponentially. It's, it, it comes from somewhere. I'm not saying that it's their fault, but mm -hmm. uh, maybe it, it's a, a system's fault. So just, just to clarify, yeah, and go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so of course, like this is how the world runs, the economy and so on. So, you know, like, uh, if we went to, I don't know, employees of some random company and we said, Hey guys, you know, now the inflation is what, like at once it was 14, 15%. And we asked, Hey guys, like we put a cap on the business. So now, you know, no, no more salary increases, you know, just live with this inflation. So <laughs> I expect the employees will say, oh, so can't we grow the business, <laughs> right? So I don't think that it's just you no know, business people who are always about to grow. That's a good uh, point. So I think it's hu human, human, like, not sure if it's human nature, to be honest, like I'm not, not an expert in that. But I guess the, this is how the, the economy runs. Like, you know, everything runs more or less around money. So if, if you want it, you need to do something, you know, and that's a cycle we are all into. So speaking of that cycle, so um, I guess I, I'm totally out of my com maybe comfort zone, like in terms of the topic, because now we are, we're getting into economics and and what is what is a sustainable way to maintain, let's say, growth in the world and uh, make people happy and and. Uh, reduce suffering in a way. And it totally makes sense that if you're, you want to reduce suffering, you want to increase salaries and you want to keep the cycle going. So 
you have to have, I guess, that growth mindset. And it's a honorable way to do. I mean, don't get me wrong, business people, business owners, they are contributing a lot to society for this cycle to happen on one hand. On the other hand, also, you know, I don't think that this thought is still thought out enough among those circles because there are, there are different ways how you can grow. And it doesn't have to be, you know, that fast startup. We grow every year, uh, how to say, using, uh, using venture capital to make it as fast as possible. I'm not saying that growth is bad. I'm just saying that there are certain ways how growth happens that it seems that creates those problems. Of course, we have to go after inflation, but but still, what's what's your take on that? I mean, just just maybe you have a wiser opinion because on the one hand, I understand the world runs the way it runs, but is there like some room for for more wiser decisions when it comes to growth, and especially in the startup world where it seems that that hysteria of growing every year, like uh, doubling, uh, doubling, doubling people-wise, employees-wise, doubling revenue-wise. Uh, what's that all about? Like nobody is forcing them to do it, right? So it's people doing their own choices mm. at the end of the day. Mm. Like you, you always have a choice not to work in such company, right? Sure. Earn less. Like mm. everyone is free, at least here. Yeah. Right in our in our country. So I think we 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 make most we make those choices on our own. Probably there is some better option. Just uh, how the society could run. Just like I guess there is no better than the existing one. Mm. It's like the democracy. You know, it's not perfect, yeah. but nobody found a better solution yet. Mm. Mm. Uh, and it's it's not necessarily just about inflation. Like I don't know. Uh, like imagine you know there is some amazing thing you wanna buy, and you know like they say, well you know sorry, but we just added a cap. Maybe like there there are I guess small businesses which choose to do that. Like they have long queues, you know, of people waiting. They allow themselves to increase the prices and so on. Uh, just know at the same time, there are some companies like at the end of the day, I believe that there are quite many businesses who create like real value for society, but it's not just being run just for the sake of being run and, you know, yeah. push money. Uh, like, you know, there are great inventions, you know, like, uh, I don't know, electric cars and so on. Like, things with, which come closer to everyday people just because there are those businesses that because those people are working really hard and you know if they added a cap on themselves like you know like it would come later most likely uh, at the same mm -hmm. time for example now our world like you know is uh, as we know we have a global crisis of the climate change so maybe we are running out of time so if I'm, let's say, someone who believes that the world is running out of time and they really want to do something, you know, yeah. uh, deliver something to the whole world, maybe it's not about the money. And I believe that for many business founders, mm -hmm. it's not about the money at some point. Uh, it's about the impact. 
Um, yeah, totally. And uh, if if you are into if you're working on a product that might save the world or at least uh, prevent a bigger crisis that's already in place. So I, I totally understand the, the reasons behind that. And then, then you are motivated by other things like, uh, so for example, for example, getting people on Mars, reducing coal usage, uh, going full electricity as, as much as possible. Um, I don't know. Uh, so there are many companies that, that are being motivated by this vision. At the same time, no, there are, there are companies that are not motivated by these ideals and still the idea is just to ensure that growth make uh, make the investors satisfied and um yeah that's strange sometimes when i think about investors they like that group of un untouchable people that are somehow somehow are more than humans there's something else and we have to like um I mean, like, like they're like gods that we have to follow their average. Not necessarily. Like, let's let's look at one example of what okay. you know happens with crypto world, for example. Great. So the institutions, the financial institutions, we were not the first ones, you know, putting lots of money into it. It were ordinary people who started pouring cash into it, uh, right? And then, you know, the boom, like this balloon of the crisis, like started growing and growing. But, you know, once financial institutions saw that, okay, there are so many people who trusted, put their own money into this and it's small sums. Then they poured money on top. And then we had a huge uh, grown bubble, mm -hmm. which now a bit shrinked, not a bit probably. So it's also, you know, people, our own choices, like, you know, which doesn't impact. We everyday consumers make choices, right? Go to one institution or the other institution and we, we support those, as, as you say, <laughs> although we always have a choice not to. Speaking of choices, um, okay, so let's, let's for, for, for the sake of discussion, let's agree that there's nothing to do about the uh, the way how capitalism works let's say that it's a it's a game that we have to play if we want to survive if we want to flourish and let's say that the conflict is in a way programmed that you will face situations when you have to think okay whether i'm focusing on company growth or whether i'm focusing let's say on people development where we, our discussion began and um Still, I think it's not, as you said, it's not binary. There are, there are ways how to juggle growth, but also showing care towards employees. And um, I guess going to that note. Just add, sorry, probably one, one sentence, like to make sure I was understood correctly. I think in the engineering industry, like companies working in software, if you don't take care of people, like anyway, you won't grow because you won't have people. So that's super important. Like, just one remark I wanted to make. Exactly, and and for some reason, you know, uh, paying high salaries above market level, uh, providing best equipment, providing a possibility to choose from a variety of products, for this particular purpose, it's great. A lot of money is invested, but when it comes to solving like 
daily hassles, basic, not basic maybe for engineers, but to me, maybe somewhat basic, predictable interpersonal conflicts where emotions are involved, where uh, frustration is involved, where unhappiness is involved. In these situations, for some reason, then you start taking the card, oh, you know, we have investors, we have to pay attention to them. So you should better either leave or go to another, another team because otherwise, you know, our my team is more important. And so if you have a problem, so make a decision. So there, there is that, you know, <laughs> that- uh, The problem, that, it's, it's yeah. not that binary. Let's say, uh, like if you think in an individual team's perspective, like, of course it sounds easy. Oh, I just moved another person and that's it, right? But now think about this, like what if there is a big need in some other team? Like th think wider, right? Like maybe there is an opportunity where that person could flourish a lot more. Yep. So of course, like we can keep working on growing a person, like, you know, that it starts to fit and so on. But is it worth uh, not not just like from a lead leader's perspective, but also for that person? Like, what? Why to stress that person? Like, because you understand, like, so it, it. I think it always depends on the situation. Like, it, it's it's very difficult, like, to generalize yeah. those things. Like, it's on the person, yeah. on the team, on context. Yeah, I guess maybe maybe I as a HR person who maybe is not a business person who let's say has a bias to ensure that people are as satisfied as possible. Maybe I have a hope or a bias towards an idea that it is possible to find a resolution. And I think that maybe it's a wrong belief, but I think it's worth investing in, in, in that conflict. It, it's worth investing, having that conflict, but also rehashing that conflict and growing for, from that conflict. And you know, when you, take someone from a team, even if it's a good opportunity, there is a possibility of losing a potential to grow and maybe uh, have uh, better fruits in the future. You know, there, there, there is those stages where you, let's say, you form, you norm, perform, and then you, you decide to stop. And I think that stage of, uh, you know, storming, you know, looking for ways how you can challenge each other and growing from, from that is important. At the same time, I realize that it's not binary and there are indeed situations that it's just the best solution is just to take out the person and not, and, and in a way solve, solve the problem this way. So, so if you don't mind on that hope aspect, once again, you mentioned that it's important to believe that there is a possibility for change. And uh, would you agree that software engineers are not the most hopeful people. What's your take on that? In terms of people grow for in general? Let's say in general. I honestly didn't notice like, uh, maybe I'm because I'm myself in that box, I don't think I noticed any like, distinctions between people who are into engineering and those who are not. Uh... So you, you feel that there is anything in particular about developers and maybe a lack of hope in certain situations? No, I think there are, you know, 
there are various people, you know, I, I sure. wouldn't say that there is something specific to yeah. people working in engineering. Mm. Because what, what I notice sometimes, and you know, that, that, that topic of hope, um, when you're an analytical person and you tend to rely maybe on facts and data more than feelings, um, hope is a weird concept because it means that you are postponing evidence and facts and you, you act despite of data. So you believe that, let's say, the product will succeed or you don't. You believe that uh, a conflict can be solved or you don't, but you don't have evidence for that. You just, you can try and see how it goes. And uh, I, don't, I don't say that uh, software developers are, are not hopeful. It's a very uh, maybe rash uh, generalization, but for, for me who is interested in personality and personality differences and differences between groups, I'm interested if the aspect, maybe a possibility that there is that lack of hope, there is maybe too much pseudo, sometimes rationality, pseudo data-driven decisions where we, <laughs> we forget that there is hope, but it's very unconscious. And we, 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 for some reason, there are a lot of, let's say somewhat technical or data-driven decisions. Let's say we need data scientists, we need to, uh, them to create interesting models, but then still we sometimes rely on our gut. And so I guess where I'm, where I'm getting at, I'm just, I'm just interested in your opinion on, on that hope aspect and whether there is hope, let's say on a conscious level or there's hope on the unconscious level. And it seems that we are all hopeful as a human species, but in the software developer population, it seems that that hope is underrated and, but still it, it, it plays its magic under the hood or on the back end, so to speak. Like my, in my personal opinion. In your experience. Research or anything, but yeah. like, uh, you do, you do know this thing that, you know, we look at data, we make decisions and we think we are rational people, but actually we just make decisions based on emotions most frequently. That's Daniel Kahneman's work. We just Kahneman's rationalize, yeah. <laughs> we just rationalize them afterwards. Yeah. So for sure there is this tendency and like why maybe it's a little more um, uh, popular among, as we say, like people in software, uh, it's, it's, it's because people might think that we are more analytical than others. Oh. So understand me correctly. I'm myself like like data people are my best friends. Like I like to look at data like all the time. Yeah. But now imagine a situation like let's say you need to do a surgery, uh, and you know the surgery is risky, and you know there are two choices how to make a surgery, and then they say you you know what like if you pick uh, this one uh, like there are 45% that, I don't know, you, you won't walk afterwards. And if you choose this one, there is 50% that you won't walk again, right? But you know, there are differences in prices, there are something else and so on. So like at the end of the day, like, and, and let's say there are two different doctors maybe even doing those, right? And at the end of the day, even when you will look at the data, when it's a very little difference, like will you really make decision just based on that very small yeah. difference? Or will you involve some other, you know, mm. gut feeling based decisions? Like, did you like the doctor of that other option? Maybe the clinic looks nice. Maybe the price was better and so on and so on and so on. So. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I feel that during our conversation, I feel like a general topic of uh, tension between us is where you feel that, I'm not sure what it's all about, but I feel that you had an idea that software developers are like everyone else, whereas maybe I tend to lean on the idea that there are specific personality or behavioral differences that maybe make this population different. And, you know, I, I have data to prove that. And, and there are, you know, Stack Overflow studies, for example, they show that levels of depression and anxiety are double than in the general population if you compare it with um let's say world health organization data so let's say um it's I, it's it's data you know it, it can be flawed uh you know although stack overflow you know they can survey up to 100,000 developers all around the world so i think it's a it's a legit sample so you cannot let's say at least me i cannot when i see this result i cannot say that okay it, this it's, it's nothing you know we are all more or less the same and leave the developer alone <laughs> but you know uh, maybe maybe you got me wrong but i want to maybe help this population and you know you only can help when you identify the problem and if we, let's say we we explain it away by saying that people are all the same there's nothing to talk about so how to start that discussion going you have to have at least something to start with so maybe this is why i'm maybe biased on on, on this mm. on this topic. No, you know i'm myself biased because like i'm still considering myself an engineer at least very very small time amount but still it's an engineering work right so maybe i'm biased no because i'm coming from that and i think well we are all like everyone else right and that's uh, you know and that's also a space to become aware of one's biases because you know if you just if you allow me to put my psychologist hat if if let's say you notice yourself being triggered by something i spoke so it shows that we touched on something maybe a value or belief that is important mm -hmm. to you and it can also maybe speaking on a meta level it can also be something about that tendency to maybe not to be conscious enough of certain things so of course we are not perfect everyone has unconscious processes happening all over the time but i guess my hope is that maybe i, I yeah i have to accept the fact that yeah i ask maybe sometimes too much from software developer population maybe because i put a lot of hope in this group of people and i think that throughout the time more and more we will depend on the outcomes of software developers and we do right now take it facebook instagram netflix um tinder our lives are basically driven by products created by these people so i would appreciate these people to be as conscious as possible that's like my core uh, starting point why I did my research on the well-being of software developers because I mean if you are suffering and if you're suffering more than everyone else and you're creating a feature and you have to be relatively well aware why you're creating that feature because maybe possibly you're projecting something on the product that you know you feel that people are lonely so you create a like button but no maybe you are lonely and maybe you have to sort things out in your life before you're trying to sort other people's lives so maybe it sounds like a you know 
something negative, but it's just maybe me, uh, me just asking for more conscious decision making. That that's it. And you know, and I work mainly with engineers or tech people in general as a counselor. And I see that there is that potential. Just people sometimes are afraid. Maybe they are lazy, but there is, and people grow and they become even better decision makers. So. Yeah, just there was no critique on your side, but it's just you know my bias towards this topic. I care about it very, very much. One thing, like it's first time I heard it, Pavel. I think it's amazing. Like because I never knew this. Like it's a very really nice way we never thinking. talked about. Yeah, it? yeah. Okay. No, I, I don't think I remember this. Sorry if you said at some point that it's a really nice way of thinking about it. Like, uh, like you know, I, I think you are. And software engineer, like you're participating in software engineering yourself. Like, because how do you put this? Like these days and all, all the big tech, at least, you know, it's not just like those people writing code doing okay. the actual software engineering, right? Like, you know, you need, there are quite many different roles involved. And in often cases, like uh, at least from in my personal opinion, from my experience, is that uh, have you heard this? You know, what are the two like most difficult tasks in computer science? Like you know, caching, validation, and naming. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's people. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's in many cases it's people. So re I really like that you you picked this because I think it's one of the most complex things in, in mm -hmm. software engineering. Like how because it's interpersonal skills, agreeing with other teammates, agreeing with other functions, you know, finding the common ground, especially when you're working among super amazing people, like amazingly talented people who read a lot, who know a lot, like, you know, and they have their own opinions. They know the best path forward in their field and how to match them, how to match, you know, like, you know, you have, I don't know, UX designer and a front-end developer who are amazing, like, like super talented. And they have a bit different opinions yeah. on something like and who is right, who is wrong, right? And they cannot, let's say, agree on something. Um, and if we cannot agree on something, whose fault it is? <laughs> who needs to solve that, right? So those, those are usually like very interesting topics. So really appreciate that you're into this. And I think it's a very interesting, difficult topic uh, to solve. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. And uh, you're in a way putting me under the spotlight because I'm having like a coaching moment, you know, when you're talking to someone and you get a important realization. So you provided me a coaching moment. I will tell you what was the coaching moment. So I always felt that um, I'm not, um, how to say, um, I'm, I'm looking for words. I'm not qualified to help engineers or help software engineering because I'm not a software engineer. And, um, and by saying that I'm in the way I am, I really appreciate that, you know? Because you know that imposter syndrome, I, I never written like a line of code, but at the same time, I, I care so much and yeah. And uh, I would really like to code and, it, but my parents always told me that I'm not good with mathematics, you know, and I will never be. And yeah, and I found that this passion and it 
And it's really important to me. And I really appreciate for saying that. Sorry for being emotional. No, no, it's all, all, all good to know. If we were like not remote, like we would really give you a hug, probably. Uh, I mean, I think it's very important to tell, you know, that uh, like it's first thing, you know, when you speak of people who have coded in the in the past or are or coders themselves. So sometimes you can feel this, you know, maybe not necessarily explicitly said thing, but you know, hey, you know, you don't code and you don't know shit, you know, like, what are you saying me? Uh, but it's, you know, that's, that's a bias also, like that's true. Like, of course you have advantages if you have at least coded a little, just to a bit understand, you know, the logic, what it's about, uh, like how all the software gets built at, at the end of the day, you know, like, like, you know, like there were times when, uh, for example, if, if we think about websites, there were times when there were only people who knew how to code, you know, launched websites. So, yeah. and those websites looked how, like, you know, there's a, maybe a background, a white or black, and there are text, and that's it, like, you know, and there were those websites before. Now imagine all the stuff we can do on the internet. Let's say, I know you, you open some social network and there is a chat which is interactive. You start getting messages in real time. There is a sound, there are different colors. You see the images, you can change those images, emojis, like recordings, you know, audio stories, audio messages, like various things. Like, yeah. And all those things, of course, they were developed at some point, but where they designed just by people writing code, you know, where they thought about, invented just about people who wrote exactly. code, you know, like, uh, you know, like also you now if we think about features in the big tech you know there's a lot of there, there's a lot of involvement from let's say people who talk with the customers like ask their feedback then try to rationalize that information put into the you know the buckets make decisions based on that information like because no like one thing is uh, to check the quantitative data as we, you know give they gave example 45 percent versus 50 percent the other side when the data is qualitative like you know somebody says i like this or somebody says i don't like this yeah. you know, what exactly do they mean like can we put this on a scale from one to ten right so that's also in a part you, you you participate in the software production part like you're shipping the products like you're still participating in all of it so I, I think it's i think it's huge and if we if we think about big tech there are so many different roles so many important roles like like for example uh i think there's one thing which is still relatively well not sure if we can say new but uh many people i tell this we usually don't know about haven't heard about that for example you know uh we have uh, for example people whose work is to write content like yeah you know imagine imagine software you know there are buttons uh there are titles of pages uh navigation yeah, in your you company know, you have like uh, those ux writers right yeah exactly ux writers so there are people who think you know how to explain things yeah. in the best possible way and that's so challenging actually like it's it's very difficult and what is even more interesting like you would say those people don't write code but the naming done on their side actually needs to connect very much with the code yes. because you know like there are abstractions in the product there are also abstractions in the code and if they don't align then there is miscommunication in the team so yeah i mean in my research in my research i when i when i say software developer i usually uh, define it as someone who participates in the 
process of creating a software product. So it's, of course, it's not only programmers who code. These are like product managers. These are people who test the code, who are people, these are people who analyze data. And also I think that writers included. Give me one moment because my nose is full of, of me sure. being a, a pussy. So wait a minute. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, Thomas, that was something. <laughs> um, yeah, um, so where did we stop? So uh, yeah, I told you that that my parents, uh, they, they in a way pushed me into humanities without, without thinking about it. And um, um, speaking about you, I mean, this is, this is about you, not about me. I'm really interested in how people get into software engineer, engineering and already throughout this podcast i had already like four conversations up to this and i noticed two things at least one thing computers were introduced relatively early any person's life especially if it's someone who's like in their 30s who grew up without a computer when they were born born and the other thing it was like the influence of teachers who, let's say, saw some potential and encouraged that and maybe provided some guidance. Um, now, maybe it's a bit different where, when uh, engineering is fashionable, you know, but at, at that time, I'm sure that it was a bit different. So we are, we are like in the same age group. You are like also in your 30s, right? 99, uh, 29, 30, something like that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so how did you get into this? What, and what was your parents' role in, in, in that? Very, very interesting thing. You mentioned like three things. One is uh, how soon the computer came into the life, the influence of teachers, well, not necessarily teachers and parents. I think, yeah, those three were influential, although not in the way I would say it wasn't as, as smooth as uh, like one could expect. I think it's, it, it was not smooth at all, to be honest. So one thing, yes, I think uh, the computers I saw in my life quite early, I really don't recall my age, uh, but then I remember like my cousin knew some HTML, he was five years older than me, I was 12 maybe, and he showed me how to change the background color of the website. Uh, that oh yeah, that, that was me. like, this is like using, uh, yeah, so I also, yeah, so maybe I'm a programmer because I used HTML when I was writing articles on different websites. And if you wanted to make it bold or in italics, you would use some some form of yeah. HTML. Yeah. yeah. So you know that was like the very first thing I came even a bit closer to like engineering in mm. general. Of course, before that, you know, like consoles, games, and so on on PC as well. Yeah, there were some. Then you know. Uh, that same cousin actually introduced me to what was called Macromedia Flash back, back then. You know, you could create Flash websites, yeah. you know, where you can see like a video. So then I spent some time, you know, like learning how to create that type of, of, of Flash websites, let's say. Uh, and then there was like a period in my life where, let's say, I pushed all the engineering part actually aside and they went a lot more into, should we say social sciences? I don't know, but you know, I participated a lot of like, let's say activities for like 
future young leaders let's say there was this module european parliament yeah. thing, which i really loved and was participating a lot or schools parliaments you know activities like organizing you know i don't know some um uh like concerts or some events you know for the school and so on a lot of that like uh, so there were a lot of those activities that I've been doing, you mm. know, in my life, like there were huge, like amount of friends back then. So all, all, all like computers were just, you know, somewhere aside. And there was, there were those thoughts, you know, okay, so what will I study? And yes, then there was, you know, let's say involvement of parents. <laughs> Uh, and actually, you know, then, like, I, I remember now, like, I really don't blame my parents at all. You know, we, we spoke, spoke about You can't do that here. I, I will not yeah, punish you. Know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, like, uh, back when we said, hey, Thomas, you know, like, you know, you're so active, you know, participating, all those things. Are you really going to spend time on those computers? Like, you know, like, are you that kind of, you know, geek person? Like, will you um, like, like to write go? Like, probably not. And if was, well, you know, we did not, like, push me hardly or, or anything but I thought well probably be right and I wasn't fully sure back then what should I study so you know I anyway decided that in my 12th uh, school grade I will you know learn hard try to pass the exams amazingly and let's see what happens probably I will try economics so I actually passed my exams like at very high grade like uh, very good grades like extremely good uh, uh, grades I said, okay, let's let's try economics, you know, which which is extremely difficult to get into. At least it was so back yeah. then. If you want to go into free free spot, so I got there, uh, and then I realized that I hate that thing so much. <laughs> Even though I participated, like uh, like you know those school Olympics, like you know those uh, competitions. Even for young uh, economists, and kind of maybe liked it a little, but the first way was terrible. Although, and here comes the involvement of teachers. There was one thing I don't recall exactly. Was it databases, database, probably not architecture, but something related to databases during the first year of studies of economics. And they enjoyed that thing so much, you know, even that professor like said some, you know, praises back then. And I thought, well, <laughs> since I hate that subject so much that I'm even skipping the lectures because I don't like them, you know, and that's usually not me because, you know. Our economics classes, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. It, 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 uh, yeah, but not that one. Uh, mm -hmm. So I just thought then, well, maybe I should, you know, try something else. Uh, and then, you know, even though I didn't, uh, like, I didn't take uh, informatics exam, I didn't take physics exam, I thought, okay, I'll try to switch to informatics. Uh, let's see what happens. I switched, and I think this was the best decision of my life. So, uh, like, like not, not the very best, there are many best mm. decisions, but I think this was one of them, like one of the best ones for sure. But you haven't taken those exams that are important to enroll in this, that are required to enroll in this program. So how would how did you work around? Yeah. That? So the work around was uh, like to like you know you need to pass free exams. So you know there is this uh, grade uh, overall grade yeah. which is taken, which consists of three exam results and one uh, grade from yeah. school right so i had so good exam results of two things but it was enough to get uh, to the informatics one 
And was it like state funded or did you have to? Yes, pay? yes, yes. Wow. No, state funded. I think it's, yeah. it's a good example for, for people who also find themselves in a similar situation. I think that I hope that, uh, that that's the word. I hope that the universities are now even more flexible than it was back in the day when you studied. And, and you know, many people, young people had these doubts, okay, what should I do? And now when there's a good climate to get into software engineering or informatics in general, and if by any chance you think that it might be interesting, so you always can switch after first year or even two years. So, so it's interesting that you made this decision and it also tells something about your uh, lack of risk aversion because you seem like someone who is relatively well tolerant of adrenaline and uh, i'm sure there are the points when you were into sports uh, in triathlon right and you you you're you tend to study although you still have a lot of on your plate uh, and you you seem ambitious and you have that drive and i think i'm interested how much of that was already in place when you were a young person studying economics Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting thing because like a few weeks ago I was discuss discussing with uh, like one friend and I was telling, you know what, like I'm so not risk averse, like, but sometimes I need to, I, I'm thinking how to change that. <laughs> and there are even some friends who say, well, you should be, you know, more, take more risks. Like what's, what's wrong with you? Uh, so it depends. I think I, I, when, when it's a calculated risk, I think like I, I, I will then go with my whole head and toes, you know, to mm. do something that's yes. And that's maybe related to, I don't know, ambition or, or, or something, or just nature, like how the, the, the way it was raised, I don't know, like, honestly, like, I have some thoughts, but may, 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 maybe not the most important thing. Uh, but usually I'm not, I, I don't like like too big risks, like uh, calculated mm. small ones, like, yes. And back then, you know, what, what worst would have happened by changing the status? Okay. Probably not much. And I'm asking this question even nowadays, you know, what's, what's the worst thing that can happen? If there is this worst thing and, you know, the probability is high, probably I will not take it. Uh, but mm. if it's okay, then... We'll go yeah, you know, that technique of thinking about a worse situation, you know, the, the image of worst varies very differently from person to person. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, for some situation, for some people, a worse situation would be to go abroad and just live in a different country for hours. It's being bombshelled. So, you know, the reference we, we yes, talk yes. about these things right now. So. Okay, and speaking of being raised in a way, in some way, any any reflections on that? What was the effect of your parents' personalities, of your parents' relationship on you as a person, and maybe in particular, leader and engineer? What do you think? Mm, yeah, so I think there is a strong correlation. Like it's 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 no secret, you know. Like uh, yeah, but anything uh, specific that mm. maybe you let's say, uh, copied from your parents' behavior or you learn from them, any any lessons that are can be shared? Mm -hmm. You know, my, my father is a businessman and my mother is a university professor of specialized, I think now it's, uh, uh, how is this thing called? Like, uh, 
it's more about qualitative analytic methods like you know looking yeah. at the qualitative uh, methods of you know data so you know if you think about this combo and you think about me i think there is some correlations like you know no, no even no need to go too too deep so there is this more rational side you know taken from one side and there is the other so risk covers and lack of risk covers right yeah, yeah, yeah. So without going too much into details, I think definitely there was an impact. <laughs> like you can put it however you want. <laughs> Any like specific teaching or situation you remember from your interactions with your parents that still is very clear in your memory and maybe would be interesting for people to, 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 to learn that about you? Any specific memory that comes to your mind? Not really, to be honest. Like it's, uh, I, I I don't reflect uh, that much on what happened in teenage okay. years and so on. I, I feel like it's already passed. And to, to be honest, there is nothing like there is nothing that I'm angry about. There is nothing that mm. I'm like extremely. I don't know. So happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's all, all good. Like yeah, I think normal. Let's mm. put it like this. Okay, fair enough. I will not make it a therapeutic session, so don't be afraid. <laughs> Thanks, Lovely. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. So, uh, okay, uh, talking about, about maybe your uh, later path. So when you got into informatics, you, you started working relatively early and you also become a team lead very early. And it's also something that resonates with me as well because I became a HR team lead like in my first years of being employed. So I was, I guess, how much I was after my bachelor studies, 22, maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it didn't work out very well. I, I don't think I was a good uh, manager because I was somewhat obsessive. I had a very specific idea how things should be. I had a very specific idea what is right and what is wrong. Uh, when people agreed with me, it worked out actually very well. And unfortunately, it didn't work out very well when, with a, when there were disagreements between me and other leaders, let's say production manager, IT manager, or in general. I also realized an issue that I had to work out in my therapy that I had some uh, dynamics with women managers because my mother was very protective and I didn't like when my managers were overly protective. So, so there was a lot of learning from that experience, but I, I realized that I'm, I'm better on my own and I'm working solo, you know, and, but you, you seem, you, you succeeded as a rocket in my view. So how would you describe your journey from being a economic student, then informatics student, and then going through the process of becoming a leader, any, any learnings that you would like to reflect on? Yeah, I think it's it's um, it may not sound very serious. Like there are things that I don't like, or people in general don't necessarily put on their CVs. But at the mm -hmm. same time, same time, I think they're very important. Okay. So like at the age of sixteen, like as as I mentioned, I was participating in all those you know activities. So back then, I already had possibilities to try what is team leadership. For example, like, you know, I was participating with, uh, again, as I mentioned, module European Parliament. Like, thing, I'm not sure if it's still a running activity. I think mm. it's an amazing thing. People should try it at younger ages, which this is for school school age people. To play uh, politics like, you know, a bit. 
Yeah, and 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 then you know what? Where I felt I'm doing better is I'm doing better than a committee lead, than an than an individual contributor. Because as an individual contributor, I saw myself like someone who goes quite angry about something, and you know people not necessarily like vote for my ideas, and you know. Uh, but then when I'm doing like a committee team leadership, like in more of a co coaching session, I say facilitating process, uh, getting ideas exactly. on, on the table, right? And I saw that I really like it, and I, I thought that others also kind of showed that okay, it's 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 quite good that how 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 we were doing this. So, or, you know, like school parliament activities also, you know, it seems childish school things on, but like you put it however you want. It's still like uh, interpersonal skills between humans, right? So mm -hmm. there is still, you know, doesn't matter if you are working in, you know, of course the stakes are higher and so on, sure. but, uh, but still, you know, back then at those early ages, you know, the stakes are different, right? <laughs> you know, different mm -hmm. things that are important in their lives. It still seemed very important, very, you know, uh so back then I, I was already able to test it out i you know i think i was 17 when i participated like young businessman like thing so there were quite many things that i tried in that era even before getting to university years so when i went to the university i pretty much knew that i will go into that direction i have tried it i had chances to try it through various you know um uh, like off class activities, uh, mm -hmm. which I would highly recommend to, to know to people who are in their school ages. Mm -hmm. So I knew this will happen. At the same time, I knew that, you know, uh, you know, there are those two schools, uh, like two directions, and not always it's binary, by the way, but, <laughs> but, you know, there are people saying that those who are managers don't need to be good at what they manage. And there is this other school which says if you want to manage something, you need to be good at what you like, at what you know, at that topic at least, right? So I'm more lean towards that part, but you do need to know what you're managing. Uh, like, of course, there are certain roles where you don't need to necessarily know everything, that's for sure. But I think if you want to be great, you need to know. Why like, do you, you think? Need to well, know if you had to provide mm -hmm. specific reasons, why a background in software engineering, let's say, technically wise, when you have this education, when you know how to write code, you know the process, how it happens, why this specific background is important for a software engineering manager? Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily for software engineering manager. I would say for any type of leader in a software organization. I don't care about others. Mm -hmm. I am interested in software. Engineering. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, like, there, there are multiple parts here. So, one part is uh, like, at the end of the day, as a leader, you know, you need to show a path or help people to go to a certain path, right? You, you, you need to show the path. Okay, guys, you no, know, and gals, now. This is the direction we need to take. So when you're presenting, you can have amazing presentation skills. You know, you can go to many coaches, like how to do public speaking and so on. But at the end of the day, people like they, they, you know, they are smart. They know exactly. who you are. They know exactly. what you did in the past. Like, so they will say, who is this guy? Like what he's talking about? Like, you know, he doesn't know shit, right? So how can he, you know, tell me what to do if he doesn't know what he's talking about? And right? just to so stop that's... here a bit, just to stop here a bit, a little excursion. 
that's, I think, a problem why engineers might get into conflict with testers, product managers, UX, UI people and related. So we talked in the beginning why it's important to understand how to write code. And I think you're providing very good reasons why it's important, at least for the team, you know. So yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's one part, you know, if you have that background, of course, at the same time, you know, if you went to, I don't know, a group of, um, I don't know, let's say UX designers, for example, like, and you have software engineering background, well, then that skill of yours is not that much important. Although I think there's another strength that you have having that background. And that strength is that uh, you should act as a bridge then. Mm -hmm. You understand, like, as, as I yeah. mentioned, there are many, many roles involved in big tech when you're developing something. And at the end of the day, all the thoughts, all the brain power that you do, it needs to come down to, you know, to a line of code. So now how to handle, you know, how to help everyone to talk in a way that, you know, you put it in this line of code. How do you, how do you help your developers? How do you help your designers to translate what they want in a way that makes sense, you know, to yeah. be put into the code. So that's the other like strengths that you can have. And if you don't have a background, like, like, of course you can try to facilitate people, like help them with the interpersonal things and so on, help them to figure it out on their own, utilize, you know, of course that's doable. Like, I'm not saying that it's impossible. There are many components like here in US, whatever. There are many leaders who don't necessarily have this you know, experience. Um, although I think it's it's more effective. Like uh, I think Elon Musk agrees on that. Like not saying he's the he like, totally agrees. Of example person, but yeah. like, I'm not sure if, if I'm that much into that direction. I think he's very like strict. I mean, he's I think that. that he is still a chief architect in Tesla. Chief scientist. Uh, Chief in, scientist. Um, SpaceX, at least. Or SpaceX, uh, something like that. But mm -hmm. maybe, maybe he's also an architect in, in Tesla and chief scientist in, in SpaceX. Who knows? I mean, he 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 likes to work a lot. And uh, and speaking speaking of working a lot, you seem like also someone who who likes to work a lot. And uh, I'm not sure if that's another thing that uh, maybe helped you. Uh, get into this into this area because you know it's one thing to to have your own responsibility and and write that code uh, create that feature for for that sprint or or whatever and the other thing is to manage the group of people who have to do that to help them to facilitate them to deal with business issues you know uh as we say in lithuanian uh, to to um so uh it's a it's a very responsible job that people, you know, they can get burned out by that. And you no, know, we once talked about burnout as well. And um, yeah, maybe sorry from switching to this topic, but I think that's a good place to to talk about that. So uh, I I experienced burnout I think once in my life uh, when I was that young uh, manager. I was actually fired from that job because, as I said, I was not the best manager and it left a, a strong mark on my experience. At the same time, I, I, I'm happy that I had that experience. So there's like that bittersweet moment. So speaking about you, Thomas, uh, and maybe any specific experience in, in, your, in your leadership journey, uh, what is it like to, to, to have that workload as a leader, like phenomenologically, subjectively, what it's like to be busy 
and how you how you experience that and what you do when that you know reaper burnout reaper comes to your doorstep and says hello thomas we'll have a a a, a nice two weeks of very unproductive and emotionally exhausting days mm -hmm. uh so first of all, I did have uh, like there were times when I think I for sure had the burnout. How did you uh, know? How did you know? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> like uh, back, I don't think I knew back then. I okay. don't think I knew back then. Yeah, but there when were you times think, when I, mm -hmm. yeah, when you think back, like any specific experience, symptoms, things you experienced that maybe might have showed burnout. Uh. Like one thing is that you stop caring at all. Yeah. Like, you know, and uh, I usually care a lot about something. Mm. And when you, I don't care about something, but anyway, you know, as I said, there is all this workload and so on, huge pile of it. Then, you know, like you, you understand that I, I remember that when I understood something is wrong, I need to change something. So then, then I knew that there was a, a burnout. So first like, of all, <laughs> sorry, first of all, demoralization you don't in a way care about the, the work you do it's 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 like how do i put this like i professionally cared but no i didn't care to my heart you show you show that you care yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so because how, you know like mm. uh you know at at some point you need to professionally care <laughs> like like how, how they put this like uh, if you're a leader in an organization, if I think if at some point like you at least don't show that you care, that's really bad. And uh, if you want, you know, to do great things, I think you need to care not just like let's say professionally, yeah. like you show compassion and so on, but you need to care about it with your whole heart, like you know, and it's to make it not just about something that you do. I don't know for money for yeah. for for fame, titles, whatever. Like these things need to stop matter to you. Like it's it's something else. It needs to be something above that. So, so yeah. Then you know, like uh, I knew that I stopped caring, like personally, deeply. I was exhausted, and then you know, had, how had did to you do something about? It. How did you experience that exhaustion, like physically? Yeah, it's, I guess, those usual symptoms that, you know, you can read in the box. It's difficult to wake up, difficult to go to work. Uh, like, you know, you feel you feel lack of energy, although, like, you slept enough, really. Mm. Uh, you are a lot more angry with your beloved ones yeah. uh, without any, like, rational reason or something about them. Uh, so th those, I think, are the signals that... Uh, something is really off uh, so like, and of course like we need mm. to understand that i think that you know burnout uh i think it's a spectrum like you know uh again not binary like, like yeah when, when someone says oh now i'm burnout like you know okay like you know it's what level degree burn is it like are you just tired and you know you just need a weekend off or a few days off and you know next day you're you're fine is it that type of burnout or now you're you know, completely burned out and you really need to change something. You know, just just to stop here a bit. Uh, you know, what because mental health is becoming a a more how to say talked about topic nowadays. 
as in Lithuania included, people are starting to use those labels very, uh, very charitably, so to speak. So trauma, burnout, uh, uh, emotional abuse, it seems that like a, a small trigger can be one of those three. And I, I, had, I, I sometimes have to educate clients that look, your experience is important, it's relevant. There are aspects of that, but that doesn't mean that you have a clinical disorder. And some people are, they become happy when they realize that, that, okay, there's nothing like clinically wrong with them, but they're still suffering and we work with that. But some people, it's strange, but a small group of people, they can be dissatisfied that they don't have that diagnosis, you know? And they might feel yeah. that, oh, so I don't have burnout, so I'm not special now, you know? So there's that other part, you know? And yeah, interesting topic. But uh, speaking of you, Thomas, so yeah, so I appreciate that you're sharing your experience now. Any like things that helped you go through that process that helped you? Like if you would go through that list that, that worked in that moment or other moments when you were preventing burnout, what would be your like, like top five things that should be followed if you if you're in that in that place especially if you're a software engineer or leader again really depends at what point of burnout you are like let's say as you said like is it uh like you you feel just bad and it's not yet a, as you said clinical disorder sure but let's but, go uh, through uh, the <laughs> spectrum of possibility okay. okay okay so let's say it's the worst case like you know like therapy there was no therapist who told me well you had a clinical burnout okay. so it's just an assumption but but the worst <laughs> the worst burnout i think there was and i felt personally yeah uh what what happened what what helped me back then yeah. uh recently read a book which kind of helped me to rationalize it so i literally just and i told this to my wife in advance like now for one week I'll just play video games. <laughs> Sounds stupid, completely. I understand. Like you would say, because now if you if now you know there, there are a lot of like how to say advices. Hey, you know you should do like sports, yoga, like mindfulness, so on, like healthy eating, so on. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to those things soon because you know tried all of those. Like we'll, we'll okay. give my awesome. take on that part. But let, let's let's say this worst case. So one week, just video games, nothing else, like ordering food to home, you know, like, uh, like of course, like showing, uh, saying hi to my wife and so on. But at the end of the day, it was still like not even answering any calls or, or anything, just played video games. What did you That's play? It, you know. uh, I think most of it was Counter-Strike back then, if oh. I recall correctly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that week, I think it, it, it really helped me. Mm -hmm. uh, it really helped me to get you know like to, to think about different things uh and now you know like i read this uh, book uh, of of uh, how is this been called harvard business review like you know we have yeah. those small like little books like the, so it, it's also suggested that hey you know instead of like let's say uh like if you feel that something is causing you an extreme stress you should try like you know the obvious choice would seem hey you know just go away from the stress or trying mm. to relax and so on. What it suggested, and I think this helps me now and helped them, just switch to another complex thing for your brain, but something that doesn't cause you stress. 
but you understand mm, like you're still with your whole mind into that thing you're playing video games like you need to know there's the real people killing each other virtually you know <laughs> like it's serious thing right so you're fully focused into that but it's not causing you know that type of uh, like uh, stress which is you know like really really bad for you so that thing helped me back then and of of course like i like didn't work that week and so on so uh so i'm not sure if this is the best advice like, you know that it sounds you, you interesting bill, but that worked for me like at least back then i'm, I'm not sure if it would work again sure. um uh, so let's move into the spectrum. Yeah, just where, one you know, one little note. It's sure. something that you did not do when you got burned out. So mm -hmm. it's important to realize that it was an activity that you would not do like daily, if I understand you correctly. Yes, yes, yes. So correct. it was like an actual switch. So I yes. guess to, to understand the mechanism, it was something that you would not do daily, but you would do intensively. It just would not cause stress. So I yes, think that yes. idea of switching to something complex, but also interesting and engaging, I think yeah. that's, that's the key. Yeah, yeah, completely correct. Like I hadn't played Counter-Strike, I think like for five, seven or more years before wow. that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay, so next, next on the list. Mm -hmm next on the list yeah so then there was you know actually after that you know like i again started working and so on uh so so you take a bit do you sorry you took a vacation for a week or what did mm -hmm. you do yeah, yeah it was a vacation like, okay for sure like it was i was not in, in the work okay. so now let's take an example where you know it's uh let's say mid-level burn <laughs> mid-level where <laughs> senior yeah, mid, 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 <laughs> not senior but mid-level mid burn so uh you know the, the usual recommendations are that you should do sports you know yoga you know i mentioned this a little so although i'm not into yoga like i did it maybe a few times in my life cannot comment you know if it helps in the mm. long term but but as you know like i was really into sports as an example i was really into healthy eating uh and does that help at the end of the day, uh, it does, although not necessarily, like I would say, like um, it, it, it these really things depends. can also give you burnout. That's the problem. You true, don't, true. you like, don't get too much into it. You don't get burned out only by work. You get burned mm -hmm. out by very stressful, chronic activity that you continue to mm -hmm. do without proper resting periods. Basically, that's an idea. So. Uh, everything as you say said many times balance 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 not binary mm -hmm. balance mm -hmm. yeah so i think there are situations uh in people's lives and mm -hmm. i think that you know i had this pretty recently as well when like you know giving an advice hey man you know just sleep eight and a half hours a day it's just like how do you put this like it's impossible especially for people who have children small children who are you know and you do very... and you do yeah and, and i personally do so you know you have a lack of sleep right so because you know one of the recommendations how to deal with stress, well mm -hmm. get enough sleep right uh well then the other recommendations well do as much physical activity as you can right like not as much as you can but like there are let's say up to one hour i don't mm -hmm. know you know probably there are different recommendations, but let's say half an hour or whatever. 
So again, like if you think about someone raising small children, you know, where you as a father also need to help because you know it's impossible to do it like for a single parent. Yeah. Uh, like it, it is possible, and that's I don't know. You take uh, yeah. So th there are ways, but at least I wasn't into that situation. I'm not am. So like you, it's not that you know. Like you, just to give an imagination, like you wake up, I don't know, four five o'clock in uh, in the morning. You're I'll put it differently. You don't wake up. You're waked up, <laughs> likely by crying. So here you already start your day, like you know, like it's not a slow that, morning. That's your that's your and so on. That's your alarm. Yeah, so, your so, yeah, sunrise. You have an alarm. <laughs> like, and I won't tell when did you go to sleep because that's a different topic. But let's say you 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 wake up at five five thirty in the morning, for example, right by being alarmed. So you know uh, and. Maybe it's not that, you know, when you are alone, you know, you can, okay, go for coffee, you know, have a slow morning, maybe the croissant yeah. or whatever. And here, you know, you need to take care of someone. So your morning is already kind of, uh, let's say a word stressed. Yeah, work uh, mode. Right, so yeah, it's a work mode, it, it's stressed. And uh, so you have that, right? Then, you know, you see, okay, it's time to go to work. Uh, where you know you quickly need to I don't know wrap one child give it to the mother take the other child prepared for a kindergarten which is not easy you know you need to prepare brush the and teeth it can and be so challenging on. because children for example might not be willing to brush their teeth and you have to play those exactly. games so it's, it's a another story yeah exactly exactly so you know uh and now, you know, like, okay, finally, after spending time in the traffic, now you're in the office, right? So, uh, so you already had like probably three and a half hours of stress. So you are kind of warmed up. You're worked up <laughs> you already. To, yeah, worked <laughs> up already. Like I personally, like I do read emails, like I check my emails a little in advance, like very important rule. I've turned all my, all notifications off. There that no, helps. A lot. Like you know, I choose when to check, I don't know, apps, not they choose me. Yeah. Like, of course, I can get a call. And I know that you know, if something really terrible happens, I will get a call. Mm. So I, I know that. <laughs> so that, that helps me. So I'm already at work, probably more or less. I know what to expect. But you know, every day is a surprise usually. Yes. And throughout the day, you know, again, you have a lot of meetings, a lot of interactions with other people, a lot of problems, something is happening, you know. Uh, for many people, so like one, like there is, you, you need to understand that one thing you should, like you, you should realize that there will never be a moment when you will be able to do everything. That's one very, very important topic because no, like if I, I see this, especially at people who just recently got into leadership, but they want to help everyone, want to do everything. In the company, you mean? Way. Yeah, in the company, like work related, you know, to help everyone and so on. And at some point, you need to understand that you start to, you need to start prioritizing. You need to start saying no. And, you know, and quite often start saying no. Uh, so that's one realization you need to make. And once you realize that it's impossible to do everything, that's the first part where you need to like be able to calmly say no and okay that's it like you just pushed away some of the problems mm. of course there are problems that you cannot push away sometimes but you know if there if there are everyday such problems then probably something is fundamentally wrong like usually there, there isn't or or you maybe you need to change your mindset about it 
so essentially to summarize what you're saying is one thing that could be changing the activity so what we already discussed and doing something interestingly mm -hmm. engaging and and positively stressful the other mm -hmm. thing is to realizing that all those physical activity might not necessarily be easily doable mm -hmm. and you have to be critical about that and compassionate towards yourself that just because you're not doing physical activity it's not that you're doing something wrong mm -hmm. and the third thing let's say not using notifications and uh, being more conscious about what you're reading and what you're not saying no to, to colleagues mm -hmm. which it can be difficult and it's a topic on its own and uh, yeah and I think like, I didn't say that the most important, yeah, I already went to the telling about my day, they forgot a little about saying that this is how to deal with, you know, when you're in bad, uh, bad situation. So I think at the end of the day, you know, you need to realize that um, uh, you need to answer yourself. One thing is why you're doing that. And I think it's very important. Like, why, why are you doing those things? Like, why did you get yourself into a situation? Why did you choose to be in a certain role where you know it's high okay. pressure role why did you do that like you really need to answer yourself because you know if you will have wrong choices you will probably burn okay out. so i want to uh, i want to climb the career ladder i want to earn more uh, i want but why 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 do you need that no that's like you can uh, do that without that's being something that uh, that my environment does so that's mm -hmm. that's normal but that's a misconception. Look, like you know, especially in software engineering, you know, like if, if you think, uh, if you think that there is a very huge differences in let's say compensation between management and you know individual contributors who are like amazing, that's not really true. Like you know, you, you can also I don't know you can fund you can do your own business be alone right. So money you can also do without being a manager. So what was your reason, if you can share? uh I, I i would like not to share <laughs> why i'm sorry for that but yeah why? i would like not to share it it's, power? it's a personal thing i would say power no 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 it's uh more um no okay i, I would choose i, I would respect not that. To share that let's let's leave it <laughs> for you. let's leave it for mm -hmm. the second podcast okay? <laughs> okay okay maybe maybe you will be warmed up more okay yeah, so yeah, yeah. so maybe to wrap it up a bit, uh, there, there are still topics that we maybe we did not touch more uh, in particular, maybe your specific specific experiences working in, in different different leadership roles. Uh, so may, maybe for next time, right? But maybe to wrap it up, uh, Thomas, uh, so we discussed many things. We discussed the, the, we discussed your journey. We discussed capitalism. We discussed the developer experience. We talked about burnout. Any like specific core conclusions that you maybe drew from this discussion that you would like maybe to for people to, to, to take away from this conversation? What what would it be? What do you think? Mm -hmm. Like I think that th these are times when you know everybody is under a huge stress. I, I, mm -hmm. I would like to like you know to, to spend a little like to conclude on okay. the stress part because I think it's important to many people. And especially in software engineering, and as you said, like there are research, you know, people with depressed depression and so on. And I think there, there is quite a tendency to have that pressure. Uh, of course, it depends. It varies company by company. Yeah. Uh, like team by team, situation by situation, person by person. 
So it's it's I think it's yeah re really important to understand you know why why you're doing certain things. You you really need to like it. Uh, also, you know maybe there will be listeners who uh, are thinking of choosing you know software engineering. And I I've seen myself you know it's it's not an uncommon question. Hey, you no, know, I want to go into coding. You know they write in newspapers. You give amazing salaries. You no, know, I want to do it. If you if you do it just for that, I'm sure you will burn out. Like you you will just you know. By the time you will try to do it more professionally, like you will realize either that it will take you too long to get into it, you know, full time to do it professionally, or I don't know, like it's it it it, it would be ex extremely difficult. So you, you need to answer yourself, you know, why you're doing that. You need to answer. You need to tell yourself that you won't be able ever to do everything. You need to understand that you know the pressure, like. How do you put this? It's it's about how you perceive all the signals around. Like you need to understand that one thing you can control for sure is how you perceive other things. Because there might be days where you know 10, 20 random people will come to you asking questions, which are you know all urgent, all critical, all yeah. impacting business, and so on. So you need to you know understand that you know it's it's about the only thing you can control, you cannot control those people not coming to you. Uh, and you know you need to understand that you have no control. And for people like you know, speaking of uh, people in software, like uh, probably here I'm a little biased, but I think there is this. We, we can make that generalization, but in code we can control things, right? Mm -hmm. We can control software. We can change the code lines. Changing people is a lot more difficult. Uh, changing the workload is a lot more difficult. Changing, you know, the amount of customers coming to your company who use your software and raise great bugs and so on is hard to control. You cannot control those things. So I think like this is where those stress things can happen, especially for people, you know, in more senior software engineering positions or leadership roles related to software. You need to realize that, you know, it's something that will happen that you cannot control, focus, you know, uh, on your perception of those things, try to find methods, you know, and I don't think like, you know, I, I really don't like when, and I hope I didn't sound myself as that kind of person where, you know, like, oh, you know, I've been living this sad life or something. And now I found this method and now everything is fine. Like, you know, this, this happens in fairy tales. Like, That's you know, a process. You, 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 you read a fairy tale and the ending is amazing. Like, you know, they live there, you know, happy happy ever after. Thereafter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't think that's how it happens. No, the, the world doesn't end. The life doesn't end with that. There's a yeah. continuous process. Like, you know, you you think that you found the solution, but there will be other problems. Mm -hmm. So you should continuously learn how to deal with those. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think what, what I'm taking from, from your summary is expectations management is what you expect from yourself as a person, why you expect that. And of course, what you and why expect from others. And I guess when you are when those expectations are properly aligned with with your values and reality, I think that's that's the sweet spot, sweet spot that we might we might strive for. And of course, it's a process. It's always a learning process, and knowing yourself also is a process which takes time. It needs effort. So, yeah, I really appreciate our conversation. It was as I said, there was that coaching moment, and I'm really grateful for that as well.
I'm, re I'm really grateful you invited the film to this amazingly interesting conversation. You know, you remember like, yeah, how, how much time it took us to get into this point, but I think, I hope like it's not just us thinking this sounded great, but those who will listen will also say, well, maybe it and, was interesting and they will find something. In, and on in that this. note of expectation management, even if that's us, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> okay, so thank you, Thomas. Till next time. Thank you. Till next time.